startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from Stellabrate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies. Again, I'm bringing you another interview in our series together with investinhessen.com, a brand of Hessen Trade and Invest, where all the investors and startups are looking to locate to Germany or invest in Germany should pay a visit. Two. This time, I would like to welcome Tilo. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Joe. Nice to meet you. I'm really good. Thanks a lot. Totally my pleasure. We may add for everybody who's watching this on YouTube, there are tennis, uh, there are tennis uh, bats in, in the back. Everything is tennis around you. That is because you're recording this before uh, the, the, the workshop of a strategy retreats start so actually you booked a tennis club and that is where you're recording from right yes yes that's true um after this financing round we discussed we go out for one two days for a strategy meeting and we thought this room here with a lot of um moving images tennis bats uh, records and a lot of stuff around us will give us the right atmosphere for this hopefully very successful one two days mm -hmm. smashed problems Good approach. I like that one. Um, as always, we're talking with our guests a little bit what uh, what they did before. And uh, you have actually a very interesting CV because you did an apprenticeship as a at a Sparkasse thrift organization. Uh, you then went on to study industrial engineering. H how did you make the switch from being a banker to being an engineer? Yeah, I, I think this was... Um a very spontaneous decision. So after finishing the school, I started to work in a bank, make an apprenticeship for two years. And I think this was a really, really good decision because after just being in school, I just, you really learn how to work, get up in the morning, every time, very early, be in the bank at eight o'clock, not at five, not at 10. So I think though it was sometimes a little bit boring, I really learned a lot, especially how is the working life. And I learned a lot about other people's job, what I want to have, what, whether I want to work like them or not. And after the apprenticeship, which was a really good time, I decided that I want perhaps to make something different, to have a little bit broader perspective than just the operational banking business and went to a um, university where industrial engineering is a combination of economics, mathematics and informatics mostly. So um, my engineering part was mostly mathematics and, and programming informatics. And I spent a lot of time in the um, university doing some programming, coding. And this was, I think, a very, very good preparation for the later career. So finally, it was a combination of going on with the business side, but get more of the technique and the, and the um, things behind to learn more about that. Um. And then I've seen you've been a consultant for some time. Okay, cliche tick. Uh, but what I found very interesting, you have been with uh, Germany's number one credit bureau with the Schufa um, for quite some time. And I think you, you kind of went back into finances there somehow. Can you tell us a little bit what Schufa does for everybody who's not from Germany, which is somewhere between 70 and 80% of our audience and what you did there? 
Yes, uh, of course. So I think in Germany, as you know, everybody knows Schufa probably because Schufa is this credit bureau collecting data about natural persons and companies, mostly to provide some credit scores to banks, financing companies, um, to help them to assess whether they should give a credit or not. And this company um, exists since 1927, so it's a very traditional German company, but historically it was not IT-based, they were just paper-based, and therefore there were a lot of those entities all over Germany. And in the year 2000, they were all merged into one commercial company, And starting in 2002, that company was really amazing because it was a, a, a momentum where a company with a lot of tradition was reset from scratch like a startup with a very well-known brand, some turnover, but with the freedom to explore and to develop a lot of stuff. And this was really an amazing time. Um, and at that company, I was responsible for setting up um, a whole B2, a company um, credit bureau with um, data about companies and to open the credit book for consumers that they get access to their data. And this was really an amazing time. I really look back to it with a lot of pleasure. But after, I think, 11 years, there was the momentum where a lot of tech companies were starting and a lot of things were going on. I thought it's now the right momentum, working in a bank, studying a lot of programming and setting up databases, working in that environment, to set up something on my own. And this is this was 2014, I would say the the um, yeah, the starting point of what is today called Palturai. Palturai, yes. Um I, I see you you first did another startup, but basically in March 2020 you founded Palturai. Um can you tell us a little bit what you did as an entrepreneur in between? And then we can get to, to our main topic here. Yeah, it, it was, it was honestly, it was just one startup. We just changed the name of the company last year. Um, as, as our previous name, Convent, was not the, the perfect name for the internationalization. And while, um, as we were setting up our subsidiary in the US, um, next to Philadelphia, um, we decided to take this opportunity to change once our brand into a much more international question. And perhaps to give you, to, to, to come to the question before, what means Palturai? I think this is, the, the name is inspired by a Hungarian mathematician who was working on graph theory. And his name was Palturan. And we combined his name, changed a little bit. And this is um, the idea behind Palturai. Ah, when, when you said, uh, Philadelphia, basically, um, what my brain said, ah, cheesesteak. <laughs> so, so, so we, we can already establish, um, apparently you guys like cheesesteak, but also more important, you are already an international company. Can you tell me a little bit about What you started, what problem are you solving and what you guys are actually doing? Because so far we have not touched this yet. Yeah. Okay. Of, of course, I think the problem behind where we are working on is quite easy to understand. And I assume everybody who listens to this series will have exactly this problem. So you're, you're all potential customers. And this is, you all have a, you all have a lot of customers, a lot of suppliers, just named a lot of business partners. 
and you store them in your ERP system, Tim, like Navision or SAP or whatever on your Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics CRM system, you have a lot of systems where you store all the information about your business partners. But you store them honestly as like index cards, like I did it in my apprenticeship in a bag. You just had a file desk and you wrote with a pencil something on the paper and put it in the map to the customer. So this was traditionally storing data about an entity. And today our systems are pretty much the same. The only thing is you change the pencil to the keyboard because you just type it into your CRM system, into your ERP system. But wouldn't it be great if you just set up a new company, a new customer, for example, and would immediately know, wow, the CEO of this company is shareholder of another customer and in the supervisory board of a supplier. So all your business partners are connected, all of them but you do not know who and how. And if you would know it, you could use it for a lot of interesting, to get a lot of interesting insights. We call them graph insights, insights out of their network. For example, who can make you some warm introductions to potential leads? Or if you have a problem with a customer, which other ones will be influenced by him? Or supposing all the KYC's um, requirements, who is standing behind the company? And all about the whole world is an economy. Everybody's it's interwoven with and linked between all the companies and people, but systematically nobody knows them. And this is the approach. This is the problem. What we solve by collecting a lot of data from public sources. So we have data about 7 million companies all over the globe, building a graph, which has more than a billion relations and offering this huge graph to our customers to get the insights about their own networks. Um, talking about public sources, what comes to mind here in Germany is like the public register of companies, Handelsregister. Uh, there are additional other um, available data sources. And I assume you also do the same with your subsidiary in Philadelphia. Uh, yes and no. So what we, of course, in Germany, in Europe, in Austria, in Switzerland, we get, we, we get the data from a lot of registers, but not only registers, a lot of website, public sources, everything where we are really sure that we fulfill all the GDPR um, restrictions. So we are very aware of this. Nevertheless, um, um, uh, uh, nevertheless, um, we have... Um, some other sources in the US, like credit bureaus and and other data providers. Mm -hmm. I see. So basically, you're not a competitor of the, let's say, big three credit bureaus like TransUnion, Experience, and Equifax, but you you also use their data. So basically, they are a supplier to yours. And when somebody enters business with another company, with another person, they can basically more or less. Um, Palterize the person, like yes. instead of yes. googling this person yes. or this entity. Exactly, it, it's it's quite a little bit like this. So it's we do not only get the data from credit, but a lot of sources which we source to build the network. And we, as you really, and that's really good, good uh, remark. We are not a competitor to any credit bureau. We do not do any credit scores. We do not assess whether somebody can pay or not. We just make existing trans uh, networks transparent using all these data sources. And um, so they can use our application, they use can our SaaS application, they can use our SAP or Salesforce application 
to get the insights into their networks. So basically, you're the Google of business information. A little bit. A, a mixture between Google and LinkedIn of business information. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think LinkedIn is quite close as well. So a lot of people say, I'm just something like LinkedIn. And we say, no, because LinkedIn, like probably most of all the people who listen today are on LinkedIn and they have a lot of contents on LinkedIn and they like LinkedIn. They post things because we use LinkedIn as well, of course, because I like it as well. Nevertheless, that's my, they're my contacts, my posts, everything is from a person. And if a company leaves, if a person leaves a company, the network of this person leaves as well. And, but the company itself has a massive network. Just imagine you have just, let's take a bank with a uh, hundred thousand customers and they have hundred thousand customers where they know, for example, the CEO or some people. And then if they would know who they, those people know, the bank could say, Hey, Joe, can you make me an introduction to this guy? You know him. And regardless which sales guy will be responsible for this customer, you can use the network. So I would say basically it's most useful for people who are looking uh, to do sales as well as for entrepreneurs and founders because they are always uh, about to sell stuff, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's very good. We have a lot of com people use it for sales purposes, as a sales company and sales departments, just selecting all the companies where you know somebody which can make your warm introduction, getting very special selections and warm introductions. And, um, but the second very big issue is getting risk of your, out of your customer. So I just come up with sales because it's very um, close by that everybody clear, says clear. Of course, we, we make network sales, but, um, taking it for risk is very important as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, uh, what you, what you talked about, like cluster risk, because this company is related to this company is related to this company. One of them slides into insolvency. The other two also have risk to, uh, because they're so interconnected that they can also go down. That is something you should be aware of. And we're talking today because in May you published a series A of four million years. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did for the Series A funding and what are you using it for? And a little bit about your investor. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yes, after the first years where really the, the founders um, financed the company mostly themselves and um, just supported by some really very helpful business angels, we decided last year, um, after setting up the company, uh, no, after together with, with setting up the company in the US and with the international expansion, that we need to make a much more proper financing. Um, I think we were lucky that we were able to um, make a lot of turnover in the last years, though much better than having investors is having a lot of customers who pay because this is better and, and we were able to ride a lot of time on that wave. But then we decided that the idea is so magic over the whole world that SAP and Salesforce and a lot of other companies, they really like the idea and said, well, it's, it's interesting. Why do we not know the networks of our relations? SAP talks about the intelligent enterprise, but how are you intelligent if you do not know the relations within your business models? Then you are not an intelligent enterprise. And coming up with all those partnerships and really a lot of discussions where people said, look, you can build up something really big. This was the point where we firstly said, come on, let's make a financing round. And we, um, and we decided to take, um, this one investor 
um, two investors. One was from the German banking uh, backed by some German banks because this is an important um, customer base for us. And um, therefore we said, okay, this they will help us to get um, more proper connections and set up the um, speed of sales in that area. And the second one is um, backed by the SBI holding, which is um, coming from SoftBank, um, the SBI holding from Japan. And this is for us very important as we will speed up our internationalization and therefore we wanted to split the investment on two, two investors combining on the one hand access to customers on the other hand um, access to international experience. And your first step for international expansion was the US. And uh, how was it to expand during times of Corona? That difficult. I would say our first international expansion we did 2015 when we set up our first company in Poland, where we have our, our where we hire where we have employed 20 25 developers, um, and then in 2020 we set up US and Austria, and of course as you say, setting up a company in February 2020 in the US <laughs> was um, interesting. As of, <laughs> as, as of course, our original plans were blown away within a week. So no fairs, no release sales appointments, no partner meetings, no marketing activities. Everything was blown away. We had, of course, we, we stopped spending a lot of money on a lot of stuff because nobody knew what will happen. And therefore, we had to um, reorganize our U.S. subsidiary um, Not, not reorganized, that is not mean um, um, there were only three people, so we kept our three people, but we did not expand a lot. And um, this had to wait one year, and this will now come up this year. But it was interesting, of course, if you want to have a sales subsidiary, working with partners, talking to partners, making a lot of appointments, and if, you know, if you're an unknown, just setting up from scratch, just via web meetings, it's really, really difficult. This is where I think It's easier to go to some fairs, to some conference, to, to, to where you meet a lot of people and when you talk, this is probably much, much easier. Everybody's talking about digital and working from home, but you can never underestimate the human effect you have. That I do believe what you're referring to, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you can do a lot of you can do a lot digital, but best if you know each other. If you have to set up something from scratch and nobody knows you and you have no relations like we had in the US, then I think having people meeting meetings where you can convince people they will talk about you, this is very, very helpful. And this is really what we lost. Mm -hmm. um, you said uh, your investors include SBI, uh, SoftBank, and uh, just a question when you approach them, hey, we are from the area of Frankfurt in Hessen, uh, how did they like it? They said, what, where, where are you from? <laughs> we, we, we are from the big town of Hofheim, which will nobody know, which listens to this podcast probably. So there are some founders from this lovely town with 40,000 people. Um, Yeah, but, but, but we did not approach them directly. There's somebody managing their funds and, um, and they sit in Berlin. So it was not so far that we had to talk originally to Japan. Most things um, went about Berlin. 
Ah, by Berlin. Ah, I see. And basically, you you reached out to those people, convinced them, and then they invested. So, so not a lot of uh, Corona travel to Japan. No, 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 no. no. I think I would have done. I see. Uh, since since we're talking about invest in Hessen here, and we're getting close to our usual twenty five minute. Um, uh, scrap uh, a cap for the interview. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the 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 location? What do you like about it, and some of the advantages? Why you decide to set up shop here? I think it's quite easy. You just have to take a map. If you if you're in Germany and you take a map from Germany and you look what is in the middle of Germany, you will find Hessen, which is the state in Germany which is mostly in the center of the country. And if you look what is in the center, then you come to Frankfurt. So with the biggest airport, best train station, best, uh, a lot of um, mobility um, offers all around here. So one very important thing of our base here in Hofheim is that we have really quick access to all customers in Germany. Of course, our first customers were, of course, in Germany. Then we had, as I said, a lot of banks and we drive 10 minutes to Frankfurt. So we do not have to work to, to, to go to, to, to our office for every day in a big city where it's really expensive. We stay in the smaller city all around, going to the customers, 10, 15 minutes to the customer and the same time back. Logistically, this is a perfect place. The second thing is we have a lot of good universities in Frankfurt, in Darmstadt, the European Business School in, in, in Österreich-Wiesbaden. So we have a lot of talent here. And nevertheless, when you set up a company, you take some of your colleagues um, with you and they all are based off, obviously all around here. And therefore, it's, on the, it's a really good play, place regarding talent, logistics and customers. And I think especially the area about Frankfurt is totally underestimated for startups in Germany because this is the biggest hub for potential customers, perhaps next to Cologne and Düsseldorf. But of course, in Berlin, you have more startups, but nobody who buys your products. And this is, yeah, but this is the problem because I would say if I would have found it in Berlin, I would travel to Frankfurt every day. And this is crap. So I think go to the customers be able to go to the customers every day in 10 minutes, in 15 minutes. This is where it's the perfect place and not where all the other people and startups spend a lot of money. I, I actually love the saying. My frequent listeners already know this. Frankfurt has a lot of wonderful places, but unfortunately, it's very good in hiding them. And the same holds true for good entrepreneurs. So once again, check. <laughs> so, um, Tito. It was just a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much for being a guest. Everybody who'd like to learn more can go down here in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, there should be a link to our blog post where we can have all the, where we don't have a cap or in terms of um, letters we, we can type in. So there'll be the show notes with a link to your LinkedIn profile, with a link to your um, company website, uh, the press release and so on and so forth. And of course, again, invest in Hessen and everybody who would like to learn more can go down here, click on it and learn more. Thank you very much for being a guest. Thanks a lot. It was really a pleasure. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. 
Unfortunately for you, there is StartupRad.eo, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.eo podcast or check for the StartupRad.eo internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.eo skill as well.